Good morning, Catherine, and welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Good morning. It's great to be here. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. Absolutely wonderful, if not better. Are you sunning yourself in Spain? I am. I am. It's very nice, very pleasant. All right. So, um, Catherine, um, I met Bridget since you were not at that particular show, and your fermented products had the 2018 Paleo FX event in Arsenal. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know a little bit about fermentation, but not that much, not enough anyway. So I was intrigued by the power of fermentation. And there you are. So uh, quickly, you are the founder of Farmhouse Culture. Any other role do you have, you have there? Uh, well, I, I, I'm an advisor to the company, and I help with innovation, marketing, and sales. Okay. Um, so... You seem to have a very interesting background. Can you tell us how kind of your, your professional path, how you got to where you are now? Yeah, well, I, uh, I was in the restaurant business for 23 years, um, both behind um, back of the back of the house in front of the house um, in management. And uh, at one point was a food and beverage director in Carmel or Nardis Lodge and was completely unhappy. I missed being at the stove. And so I went back to um, school and learned natural chefing mm. and uh, learned how to ferment there. But if I roll it back just a little bit, um, I was in Miami Beach managing a restaurant, met my husband, who was German, and we ended up in Stuttgart, Germany, where he was from. And up until that point, I just had front of the house um, experience and I had modeled and that's all I'd ever done. And I fell in love with the kitchen sort of accidentally because I didn't speak German. So I ended up spending more time in the kitchen than in the front of the house. And we hired a really great chef from uh, Strasbourg and uh, we did very authentic um, classic German food. This was in 94, 90, 94 through 98. And uh, <clears throat> I fell in love with it. I just, I realized, okay, this is where I need to be. This is what I need to be doing. And while I was in Germany, uh, we got our schnapps, our house schnapps and a few of the things from a local farmer. And every time we went out there, he had something, he and his wife had something new for me to try. And I didn't like sauerkraut at all. Wouldn't eat the stuff when I was a kid. And they introduced me to sauerkraut literally by sticking a fork full of it in my mouth <laughs> and saying here you have to try this right from their barrel and I didn't have a chance to say no you know and I don't know that I would have anyway <clears throat> and I loved it I, it was like a revelation I'd never tasted anything quite like it it didn't taste like the canned stuff that I knew no. yeah and so that sort of piqued my interest started playing a little bit with sauerkraut in the um, restaurant, but for the most part, sauerkraut, we, we cooked it, you know, but I noticed that, especially the chef I was working with, drank sauerkraut juice when he was sick and when he was hung over, which was quite a bit. Mm. And so I, I kind of remembered that and I know that I knew that it was a, you know, a, a superfood, considered a superfood, even in Germany, even though they were pasteurizing it. And uh, so when I learned how to ferment this natural chef culinary program in California, and we learned, you know, we learned how to make sauerkraut. I was like, oh, okay, I remember this. This is, this is the stuff. And up until that point, I really thought that it was just, 
you know, up until I've actually seen it in the barrel at the farmer's, at the farmer's uh, um, home, I thought it was vinegar and cabbage. I didn't understand the lactic acid, you know, fermentation process. And so I learned that at the Natural Chef Culinary Program and, and just immediately was hooked. It was just like, okay, this is interesting. So I started fermenting everything kombucha and kimchi and vegetables and miso and sauerkraut and uh, started buying cabbage from a, a local farmer where I was and uh, they said listen why don't you consider like putting some of that cabbage that you're making into sauerkraut why don't you consider putting you know putting some of those um, those jars in our CSA box and I thought well okay and at that time I really hadn't thought of it as a business I I really wanted to start a teaching farm. That was, I wanted to teach, you know, seed to plate eating. This was, you know, a number of years ago, 2003 and four. So it was, you know, quite a few years ago and, and the whole local thing wasn't big yet. So one thing led to another. And uh, I think this was now 2007. I, I started selling sauerkraut through their CSA and it just exploded, it just went crazy. And I went, okay, maybe this is a business. There seemed to be a big demand for it. Hmm. And then there's a part two of that story, but um, I can tell you that in a minute. I don't want to monopolize the entire, <laughs> the entire conversation with my um, history, that's but that's, that's sort of how I came to sauerkraut. Okay, sounds good. So you do have experience as a chef and a food manager. Uh, so from a chef's perspective, how do you see gut health? <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, I, what I talk about to people a lot is how to incorporate fermented foods into your diet, because I think so many people think of sauerkraut as a condiment to put on your broths or your hot dogs. And so helping people figure out how to use this new flavor profile, whether it's, you know, fermented beets or, you know, um, sauerkraut or, or even, even um, like sauerkraut juice, you know, I use, I don't know about you, but I learned how to finished sauces and soups with it. Uh, you know, we didn't have lemon year round. We were, lemons were, you know, expensive from Israel at that point. And, mm -hmm. and um, I'm sure it's probably changed by now, but you know, we needed acidity to finish a dish. And so it's like, wow, it's a fabulous cooking ingredient. And even though you kill the probiotics um, from a chef's perspective, it's a pretty amazing ingredient for taste. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you can always add fresh back in. I, I love to cook with kraut. And then I'll put a little fresh on top of it so I know I'm getting the probiotics as well. Mm -hmm. Do you cook with it? Uh, no, I don't. Actually, mm -hmm. um, most of my career was a pastry chef. Ah. I, got, I got into the uh, nutrition side of things about 20 years ago. Um, so I never got to really uh, cook with fermented food. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that, um, I, I grew up on canned sauerkraut, which was horrible, made me horribly sick. Probably had a bad can, you know, mm, when they mm. didn't pay attention. And uh, ever since, I never touched the stuff until um, only a few years ago when I, I tried the locally made real thing, you know, fresh. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and uh, like you, it was a revelation. So. Uh, it's very interesting, and of course, I've tried kombucha. Um, you know, in French, we do uh, cornichon pickles. Mm -hmm. Typically, they're done the natural way. Not, you know, of course, in America, typically it's done with vinegar or some form of acid. But um, so I've always 
like the flavor of uh, cornichon and you know the acidity part of it and the crunchiness but it was pretty much as far as it went as far as i was concerned uh, so this whole uh, fermentation thing even though you know um historically it's part of our culinary heritage in france i never really paid that much attention to it until until recently so how do you incorporate your gut healthy food into your everyday meal well uh i just wrote a book with my son on uh, fermentation Mm -hmm. And so I, I, even though our company makes mostly krauts and fermented vegetables, I also make yogurt. I make a lot of things. So, uh, you know, for breakfast, uh, we made fermented salsas in our book. I almost always put fermented salsa on my eggs or I'll put our smoked jalapeno kraut. Um, <clears throat> we have a ginger beet gut shot. I put that into my smoothies. Um, you know, salad dressings, for instance, uh, for lunch, I almost always replace half of the vinegar with uh, one of our kraut juices, depending on the flavor I'm going for. Um, one of my favorite things this summer was to make ceviche with kraut juice um, and lime. So smoked jalapeno kraut juice with lime. Oh. You, you cook the, you marinate the fish in that for an hour. It's fabulous, mm -hmm. and a lot of cilantro. And uh, and so and then as the day progresses, I usually will just have a shot or two um, in the afternoon as a pick me up instead of a coffee. And uh, I just find that I feel great uh, when I do that. If I have a cold or anything, I always you know drink the kraut juice. Um, and then at night, it's always just you know, gosh, a million different ways, but right. almost always involves some sort of a fermented vegetable. Um, and or yogurt like so a great example is um we have a lot of apples in season right now and so i made a french apple cake yesterday mm -hmm. um and then instead of putting whipped cream on it i i had homemade yogurt that i added a little bit of maple syrup and a little bit of brandy too mm -hmm. and uh that was that's what i put on the the um the French apple cake. And right. I think, I think I have, I digest it better. I don't eat many sweets. Um, but I just feel like when I eat something like that, I guess like, it's like a lead weight in my belly. I just don't do well with sweets, but if I put the yogurt with it, you know, it seems to, it seems to do, um, I don't seem to have that, that sort of response to it. It kind of sounds like almost like a creme fraiche. Yeah. 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 Creme fraiche, the real creme fraiche, not, not the pasteurized version, is a fermented cream. Right. You know, that is, is allowed to ferment. And, and um, one thing I do remember is, uh, I'm, I wouldn't call it fermented, but when I used to do ice cream, I was always taught to let it age uh, at least 24 hours to really? allow all the enzymes to start working and uh, feeding on the sugar and, and create a more more rounded flavor in the ice cream before you churned it or after you churned it before before we churned it yeah before we freeze in the refrigerator or no out? we 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 cook i mean we cook it we cool it and then we let it sit in the refrigerator yeah we uh, cannot leave it outside because that's dairy so you can't but yeah. refrigerator overnight i learned that from the lenard school in paris that's really interesting. You know, because really I don't interesting. know if you know Le Notre, but it's one of the, you know, well-known uh, worldwide pastry catering company 
you know, in, at least in, in France and in, in some part of the world. Oh, yeah. uh, anyway, um, I, uh, why don't you finish what you started as far as your personal story and then we'll move on to serious subjects. Okay, all right. Uh, so summer of 2008, I was really involved with slow food movement. I was interested in using local flavors as much as I could. And so I'd created a smoked jalapeno sauerkraut and a apple fennel sauerkraut that reminded me of my time in Germany mm-hmm. and a horseradish leek sauerkraut uh, and then a classic kraut. And Slow Food Nation was happening in San Francisco and Alice Waters spearheaded it. And it, it was a Labor Day weekend. And it was very hard to get any products into the, into the event. Um, they had like an Italian style farmer's market. 60, they, I think they accepted 63 vendors. And I, uh, I had read that summer that uh, the arc, they have an arc of taste. Are you familiar with that? The, the mm-hmm. slow food arc of taste. Their food's in danger of going extinct. And fresh sauerkraut at that time was in danger of going extinct, extinct. So I thought, you know, maybe they will accept one of my krauts. Well, mm. they did. I was very lucky. They accepted the smoked jalapeno sauerkraut. You just got to bring one flavor. Mm. And I was at this point making it in my neighbor's basement. And mm. so I thought, you know, I'll, I was very excited. I thought, you know, I'm going to make enough for the season since I'm, gonna, I'm buying my first barrels. I've just been doing it in five-gallon buckets at that point. Buying my first barrels, I'm going to make enough for the season and, uh, and take it down. I was living up by Yosemite at that point. I was on a, taking a year off to sort of develop the business plan and, and the, the, the um, recipes and everything. So anyway, I, uh, we had a terrible heat wave right before the event. I mean, a terrible heat wave. I was, I had ice taped around my barrels and losing my mind. So I thought, you know, they've got refrigeration down there in San Francisco. So I'm going to bring my entire supply down with me. Mm. And thank goodness I did because uh, we handed out 8,000 samples and sold 1,000 pounds of smoked jalapeno sauerkraut. And the Food, ed- food editor for the San Francisco Chronicle at the time said it was the best thing she tasted at the event. I think it blew everybody away because sauerkraut just wasn't a thing. Yeah. And then putting smoked jalapenos with it was weird. And it was just really unique. It really caught the attention of the media. And Whole, uh, Whole Foods, a local forager for Whole Foods markets, put his business card down on my, my, uh, <laughs> at my booth and said, when you're ready, come see me. And it was that was sort of a, okay, all right. So, I was, I'm from Santa Cruz, California, and I, I decided, okay, it's time to go home, rent a, a proper facility, and get this business going. And it, it really did take off. Um, at one point, we were doing 14 farmer's markets a week wow. all around the Bay Area. And I think <clears throat> within a few months, we were in Whole Foods, the first one they opened in Santa Cruz. And then, you know, next thing you know, we were nationwide, and it was, it was craziness. It, there was just so much interest in it. And, um, and yeah, there you have it. Just, yeah. Well, that's yeah. a great, great story. Um, it was good. The right time, you know, right, the right idea right. at the right time. So moving on to more intense <coughs> subject. Um, if you've done a little research on me, you know that I am anti-GMO and I wrote a book on the subject and, 
um, it seems like lately the subject has shifted a little bit away from GMOs to glyphosate. What's your take on glyphosate and how does it affect your gut? So I have noticed for a, a number of years that when I eat wheat in the United States, <clears throat> I don't do well. I get achy, I get bloated. So I, for the most part, don't eat wheat products. But every time I go to Germany or Austria, I eat the pastries there. I don't have that same experience. That's interesting. So I didn't think too much about it. Um, I do tend to go, when I'm there, I do tend to go to this one slow food bakery. So I, I think they're using organic, but who knows. In any event, uh, I started learning about glyphosates uh, through Dr. Zach Bush. And he spoke with me at, at a couple, well, at a couple of events we've spoken together. And he's the one who sort of, who was one of the first I'd heard talk about glyphosates in the gut. And he shows very elegantly, you know, what's happening and how it's <clears throat> causing leaky guts. And I, uh, in the book that I, that my son and I have written, found a, um, a, a graph that correlates gluten and sensitivity, sens excuse me, gluten sensitivity with the increased use of glyphosate when harvesting wheat. So we've been using it for a long time, right? It's Roundup Ready. But when they paired it with a GMO, and um, I think that's where it became more potent, right? But then they started soaking our, our crops, a number of crops, not just wheat, with it the day before harvest to get the crops to lay down for the swathers and as they come through the harvest. And there's a direct correlation. I pulled, actually pulled the graph from Dr. Perlmutter's um, uh, website, um, and his, he's the one who, I think, wrote The Brain Game, and uh, it's a lot of things about wheat and glyphosates. And so, really, it's not, you know, it, it's not causative, but it's a really interesting correlation to see the gluten, and, the gluten sensitivity and the, the heavier use of glyphosate really parallel each other. So I think there's enough evidence to suggest that we need to really dig into this and get these nasty chemicals out of our food system. When I interviewed Dr. Bush uh, for my book, uh, it was a little depressing. He said, you know, the problem is, is that we are so saturated with glyphosates in our environment that they're, they're in our air, they're in our water, they're right. everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to get them out of the system. Eating organic is absolutely the first thing you have to do but we need to work towards getting them out of our system entirely and uh that's something i'm really interested in and, and we're you know 100 organic uh all of our products are 100 organic i've always been very passionate about that right right and of course uh, in california um you know it's perfectly in in uh how do you say this i to use a german wind uh word uh, zeitgeist right in uh, california genau. Yeah. Genau, yeah. Genau. Yeah. Okay. Um, learning something new every day. Um, on a more personal note, uh, and you said it was okay to mention that, uh, I understand you have rheumat <clears throat> sorry, I have a hard time pronouncing rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah, yeah. I haven't really talked about that publicly and I'm I think I'm gonna start talking about it. Um I was diagnosed in 2011. I started my business in 2008 and I've been seeing a functional doctor and, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out why me? I'm like the healthiest girl in the world. Well, my grandmother had it. Mm. And uh, the distinction between rheumatoid and um, osteoarthritis is rheumatoid is an autoimmune where the immune system turns on itself and starts attacking the connective tissue. Okay. 
And I was really, really sick for about a year. Um, tried everything natural. Uh, and, you know, of course, did a ton of fermented foods and, and bone broths and a lot of kale and just did everything I could, threw everything at it I could and couldn't, couldn't back it down, couldn't back it down. So I actually went on the immune suppressing drugs and that allowed me to keep working. I was really at that point almost disabled. So, um, I, you know, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. It's been seven years and it's, uh, it's, you know, I, I have times when I don't take the drugs for a couple of years at a time, mm-hmm. but what I, but then I end up having to take them again. But what I absolutely notice is if I stick to organic, I stay, I stay um, away from grains. I eat mostly paleo. I mean, I, 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 I'd say I'm more keto than paleo now. I stay pretty focused on my, my relationship between fat, protein, and carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, if I stay focused on that and I really eat cleanly, I can go a lot longer without having to take any of the drugs. If I start what, to cheat, then I'm, I'm back on the drugs. Yeah, this is what I was hoping for, is some advice on how to, for other people with this condition, how to control it or at least, you know, uh, reduce it. Um, any additional advice on that? You know, everybody's so individual and... Um, you know, some people have all the symptoms, but and and clearly have rheumatoid arthritis, but they don't test positively. Um, on you know, so I, I don't. You know, everybody's got a little different way of of. I don't think we understand it enough mm. in order to um, fully be able to. Excuse me, let me back that up. I don't think we understand it enough. It's so individual. I, I feel reluctant to give advice, but I do know that the number one thing anybody with RA needs to do is eliminate sugar and grains. You know, right. that, I mean, it's just, it's, we already know that that acidifies the body. So if you can get an alkalized, you know, body somehow, um, I think that can help tremendously. And I do believe that there's a good chance. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a doctor, but it does seem to me that, um, you know, I have a leaky gut and it could be environmental. I mean, I've been eating organic almost my entire life. Um, but, uh, for some reason, something's happening in my body. So I think one of the first things you have to do is heal your gut. If you've got any kind of autoimmune and there are two ways to do that. And, and I think the one we're going to hear a lot about in the coming, in the coming, um, years is fiber. Um, Jeff Leach and Rob Knight, who founded the American Gut Project, which I really love. You can support them by um, taking their tests. They'll do a gut pro- a profile on your microbiome and your gut microbiome. And that money goes to fund a lot of the work that they're doing. And uh, they've studied indigenous tribes around the world, but mostly um, in South America and in Africa. Um, and the thing that they've noticed with these hunter-gatherer cultures is that they don't have any of our modern diseases you know they they die of infectious diseases and they you know maybe get killed by a lion or whatever Hmm. but they don't have any of our modern diseases and and one of the things that we notice with uh, both cultures that they've studied is a lot of fiber Right. A ton of fiber like twice as much three times ten times as much. I mean, it's just crazy how much fiber they eat and so I think from what I understand, by putting a lot of good fiber in your gut 
and there, there's definitely a, a process of getting used to it. It's not always comfortable to begin with. The bacteria that, that help form the mucosal lining and the epithelial lining of your gut, they need that resistant starch from this, these fiber, these, these fiber-rich foods in order to um, produce more of themselves and create the, a nice healthy lining. So you've got to have fiber. And, and then we also know that uh, this is a very interesting thing I learned in, doc, in the interview with Dr. Zach Bush, that fermented foods seem to have, and apple cider vinegar too, mm. seem to have a pretty positive effect on the gut, especially when glyphosates are introduced. It, yeah. Pretty fascinating information coming out around this. Uh, again, I'm reluctant to give anybody, you know, like uh, medical advice, but right, yeah. I think fiber, high fiber, and a lot of fermented foods is, it seems to be a winning combination for so me so and the, for a lot of others. The fiber is the prebiotics that feeds the, the friendly bacteria. Yeah. And so, you know, people think, oh, a salad's high fiber. It's not. Lettuce is not high fiber. Um, and then people always want to go to like grains for fiber. Mm-hmm. But you can get you can get fiber in a lot of different ways. Um, I love cassava because uh, I can make tapioca pudding with coconut milk mm-hmm. and a little maple syrup. Um, uh, but we you know we've been eating cassava for a long time, thousands of years. Uh, and then uh, acacia, coffee flour, green banana flour. These are all things you can add to your smoothies. Um, uh, what else? Cold rice, cold potatoes. I don't do well with nightshades, so I stay away from potatoes. Um, I don't. I can't remember why cold is important, but something switches and it makes mm-hmm. it more of a resistant starch than a straight starch, and okay. so the body metabolizes it that way. So there are a lot of different ways to get resistant starch for those bugs in your gut that form that mucosal lining. Okay. So any green vegetables in that um, in that family? Yeah. Yeah. Well. I don't know that they're that high in fiber, um, but of course they're really good for you. <laughs> so yeah, ton of vegetables, super important, especially if you're doing paleo, right? Because we're not doing really any grains. So you've got to be mindful about how to get roughage into your gut. So a ton of vegetables. So for our listeners that are not familiar with the keto diet, can you give us um, your version of it? Yeah, well, the way I understand the difference between paleo and keto, because I get asked that a lot, and I'm sure you do too, and I'd like to hear what you have to say, but you know, paleo is more focused on the actual ingredients, reducing anything that we didn't eat as a hunter-gatherer, so no dairy, no grains, no processed foods, mostly meats, different types of meats and vegetables, where keto, uh, like I do dairy, I do fermented dairy, um, uh, Keto is more about the relationship between the macronutrients. So for instance, I eat about 70% fat, about 18% protein, and then about 12% carbs. So I will measure, kind of I know how to do it now by just looking at it, but I measure my food mm-hmm. uh, to make sure I'm getting you know, a certain number of calories four times a day, mm-hmm. um, and I try to get that ratio. So I, I, that's my understanding. Is that, do you think that's about right? Actually, I wouldn't call myself an expert in the keto diet. Uh, it's um, from a nutritionist point of view, I, uh, I see keto diet useful for people with certain conditions. But if people are in um, regular health, they are healthy in general, I don't recommend it. I think it's, um, 
a little too extreme for my taste. I'm more into balanced, balanced diet, you know. Um, So uh, in my particular case, I increase the amount of fat in my diet, my paleo diet, but I don't go to the extreme of keto because I'm I'm generally healthy and, you know, I don't feel the need for. So, yes, I I would add uh, bad butter or um, coconut oil in my uh, hot chocolate in the morning. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Um, I have had this probably something in there, this uh, throat thing. I don't, I don't do dairy, so it's not the dairy. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I added a little more. I, I take a tablespoon of uh, coconut oil in the morning as a, you know, addition. But that's basically, it. you know, I, I don't, I don't go, you know necessarily in that direction i'm more like a paleo you know mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. not like not like very strict but, but probably 90 percent paleo with a little extra push on the on the fat but that's it that's a big shift from pastry huh yeah 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 the joke <laughs> is uh i call all my old customer my old pastry customer and then get them well again there you go you know i have to tell you um Elaine, that I came this close to becoming a pastry chef. Yeah. I love to bake and I love chocolate. I love chocolate work. Um, Mm. And, you know, it really, I I came so close. Instead of going to the natural chef culinary program, I was going to go back to school and learn pastry. Well, you know, uh, there's a saying. I think it would have killed, I think it would have killed me. (laughs) Uh, No, really. I'm still alive. You know, I, uh, the thing with me is that, um, I love my trade, but I never really enjoyed sweets as a matter of, you know, eating them. I mean, I would love a good fruit tart or a sorbet or something like this, but I'm not, a, um, like I'm not into chocolate, for example, you know, which sounds surprising for a pastry chef. I, in France, we tend to be more focused on balance again, and, and you know, uh, typically the pastries are not very sweet. And the flavors yeah. are much more balanced. You know, there's a combination of flavors, and neither one is allowed to overcome the others. So it's kind of a symphony of flavors in there instead of being uh, the sugar being number one hitting you, which yeah. typically kills all of the all the other flavors. So uh, French pastries typically are surprisingly enough for a lot of people because they think, oh, French pastries. Uh, they're not really that sweet. And typically French people, when they eat a pastry, it's a small amount. It's a small serving. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's about, I don't know, you know, a, an eclair or um, a small slice of, they don't typically eat a big slice of cake, you know, like uh, it's typically done in this country. So it's yeah. a different look at things. And, um, and since uh, I was... Most of my career, I mean, I was a pastry chef, but I was also a cake decorator. Um, so my, my trade was mostly into uh, making cake beautiful and uh, not mm-hmm. necessarily putting them together or baking them or cooking them. I mean, yes, I had to do all of this to get to become a cake decorator. But um, th- for me, what was the most pleasant part of my job was the cake decorating part, the art form. Uh, creative side of things 
Yeah, so, that's the part I was attracted to also. Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, production uh, bores me to death. You know, yeah. having to do the same thing every day, day in, day out, uh, you know, uh, because when you start working in some uh, large, uh, even a fairly large pastry shop where they have uh, 20, 30 people in the kitchen, you tend to be, uh, they tend to put you in certain area of the kitchen. So you work, uh, you work, um, you know, breakfast pastries, you work breads, you work cookies, you work, uh, you know, pastries, cakes, chocolate, ice cream, you know, a different department. Um, I was lucky to be allowed to be a, what we call a tournant, which is you get to rotate. I was allowed to rotate and, and learn different skills through the kitchen, but eventually I ended up as a cake decorator and that's what I like the most. So mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. that's basically it. So yeah, I'm a um, well-rounded pastry chef, but my, my skills lay more into decoration. You know. Do you so uh, during paleo? Then do you not do you eat? You ever eat bread or anything like that? Um, rarely, uh, I splurge in social occasions. Sometimes I'll eat uh, bread and cheese, it, as long as the bread is good. If it's you know crappy bread, I won't touch it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And once in a while, I'll um, I'll eat a slice of um, uh, sourdough bread, a good quality sourdough bread. Just as yeah. a treat, you know, that with the good butter on it. And that's almost mm -hmm. like dessert for me, you yeah, know, but um, it's not something I, strangely enough, I don't even crave it anymore. You know, um, I don't go out of my way to go eat croissant or, or pastries or danishes or anything like this. If, if it happens to be there, then yeah, I'll, I'll get one, but, and I'm not, you know, shame of it. It's just, you know, part of the paleo diet is you're allowed to cheat a little bit. Yeah. So that's my cheat. But it's to come to think of it, it's I'm actually cheating more with corn chips than I'm cheating with uh, pastries. Mm -hmm. I, like, mm -hmm. I like the salty. I like the salty and the crunchy. Yeah. Much yeah. more than the, <laughs> the smooshy and the sweet of the pastry. Yeah. So do I. But as a medicine, yeah. I do take a square of dark chocolate every night. That's my you memory. do? Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> well, you know, my excuse is it's got <coughs> excuse me. a good amount of antioxidants. That's my, mm -hmm. that's why I call it my medicine. Do you take it with red wine? No, I don't, I, I don't like the combination. I don't like the combination of red wine because uh, my, the chocolate I eat is fairly bitter. And then you, you top it off with red wine. It's just uh, the, the flavors are clashing, in my opinion. You need, a, you need a good port. And I get, you know, I don't drink hard liquors, so I wouldn't know. Uh, mm. I, might, I, might, I never tried, I never experimented, never tried champagne, for example, with, you know, with chocolate. But yeah. um, I get the feeling, but that's just a, a feeling. Uh, I was going to say a gut feeling that uh, <laughs> it might not... It might not work together. Uh, I'm not, strangely enough, again, as a Frenchman, I don't drink wine. You know, if, um, if I do, it's just a glass and with food, with a meal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with food, not with dessert. Uh, mm -hmm. But I don't mind a, a glass of champagne with, uh, with a nice piece of cake, you know, once in a while as a, mm -hmm. as a like a, my birthday or something, some special occasion. But I really don't. Um, I found that sugar gags me pretty fast. 
you know. I'm, I'm to that point where uh, if I eat um, a little excess sugar, I get s sick to my stomach, uh, kind of nauseous. So it's mm -hmm. not, uh, and, and um, even when I was a kid or younger, I never was really attracted to sweets very much, strangely mm -hmm. enough, for a pastry chef. So probably, um, again, you know, my focus was on cake decorating, and, you know, and that's, that's what I was good at. Um, and I, I stayed with it, you know. Yeah, and uh, yeah. when I opened my own business uh, 30 years ago, I obviously had to produce everything. Uh, I was being the chef, I was still the cake decorator and my assistants were taking care of the rest mostly. Um, but that's when I started to become interested in nutrition because uh, a couple of my assistants were vegan and they complained I didn't have any vegan dishes. It's like, what's that? You know, in France, you don't, you don't separate foods. You don't like compartmentalize in vegan or meat eating or this or that. And there's not two dozen different diets available. You just eat food. That's it. You know, that's, there's no, we don't exist a lot of energy trying to calculate anything. We just eat what's on the, on the plate and that's it. And typically our mothers and grandmothers were good cooks and they serve what they got from the market. So fresh typically before all the supermarkets and hypermarkets and, you know, all of this started to happen. Um, you know, I grew up with my grandmother in, on her farm. All we had to eat was, was coming out of her garden, which was, you know, 20 feet away. So yeah. we just, uh, we just go there, pick some carrots, keep, you know, some salads and, and um, once in a while grab a chicken or um, a rabbit and cook it. And that was food, you know? Yeah. Was, that's right. Was, there's no concept of diets. Nobody cared yeah. about diets. You just say, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I mean, if you lived in Germany, you're probably aware of this particular way of looking at things. Yeah. Also um, my grandparents, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents when I was a child and uh, we had a black Angus ranch mm -hmm. and my grandfather was a canner. My, you know, I, I know what farm life is like. Uh, mm -hmm. Summers were filled with, gardening and canning and unfortunately not fermenting. I don't know why we didn't ferment. Um, right. And so I, I understand that. And I think we wouldn't be talking about vegan or paleo or keto or any of this mm -hmm. had we not industrialized our food system. And right. when I started the business, truly, uh, I used to tell even people in business meetings, this is my prayer for the world. I was not out just to make fermented foods. I will also, it was about tran transforming uh, the food industry because they weren't listening to consumers. Consumers are getting sick. They're putting more crap in their food. And I thought, you know what, instead of me being angry about this, I am going to go beat them at their own game. Right. I'm going to go create products that taste good that consumers will choose over some of this other, you know, stuff that's available. Mm -hmm. And a year and a half ago, uh, General Mills invested in my company. Wow. And they have a venture capital arm of their company called 301 Inc. And they assembled some of the brightest, most passionate young people I've ever met to go out and look for companies like mine uh, to potentially to invest in, not to buy, to invest in, to help us grow. 
to help us give us access to some of their intellectual capacity that we don't have, for instance, in innovation, especially with fermentation, because fermentation is very um, uh, exacting and it's well, not exacting. That's not the right word. It, there's a lot of science that goes into making sure that the microbes live throughout the the, the shelf life. And mm -hmm. so we have access to their labs now in Minneapolis and they've helped us with distribution. But what's interesting about General Mills is that they're a 150 year old company. They've got a lot of products that I would never buy, but they're transitioning a lot of them. They're transitioning a lot of them into natural ingredients. They recognize that there's a problem and they're, they're listening to consumers. And I think they've invested something like nine companies like mine, three of them female founded. And uh, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I read recently that uh, General Mills sells more organic food than, uh, well, they're in the top two uh, organic food sellers in the world. <laughs> like what? People don't realize yeah. it. And they have put a ton of money. Uh, I think this is, a, this is the right number, that, that they have converted more uh, conventional land to organic than any other company in the world. Which, um, which is a credit to the power of the people because the people demanded that and it's uh, also to their credit that they actually listen. Right, right. Which is not so, typically the case in corporations. They typically don't care. They only care. I know, they're, that's right. So it's kind of a thing now that these big corporations that a lot of us small guys set out to beat are now coming to us and wanting to invest in us and give us sort of the business part because we bring the passion and the food knowledge. Right. And, and so it's, it's kind of interesting what's happening and it makes me optimistic mm. that somehow we can get back to a, a sane food system because, you know, I remember I'm, I, uh, I remember what it's like to, I got milk. We got milk delivered to us, you know, we like, I just, I don't know. I, I think I was probably always going to, maybe I wasn't going to have rheumatoid arthritis, but it's hereditary in my family. I can't beat uh, you. Uh, I was sent every morning to, with my pail to go to the, the farm and get milk almost still warm from the cow. Yeah, yeah. We used to do that too I mean, in yeah. the summer. And, you know, I'm, I, if you're going to do dairy, then it should maybe be raw and fermented. And, you know, it's not, it's not unusual. Like I spent some time in Hungary with a good friend of mine. And, you know, his mother, they, they actually outside of Budapest, she lives in this village, they have a, a raw milk machine outside of the grocery store. Wow. So you show up with your bottle yeah. and for 25 cents, you get a liter of, of fresh raw milk. It's a cooperative. Mm -hmm. And the, what, if you hear his mother talk about it, it's like, oh yeah, th it's all clean because, you know, in Hungary, I mean, let's face it, they're not, I'm sorry for any Hungarians, I love it there, but they're mm -hmm. not super regulated. And, right. um, but there's self-regulation because the community knows if somebody's being dirty with their yeah. dairy, it of gets course. out. So that's the beauty of a smaller food system is transparency is just part of it. Mm -hmm. and, and then she would leave the milk out on the counter overnight, raw, and then yeah. in the morning is when she would use it. She'd never, they never drank it just straight. They would let the bacteria start to partially digest the sugars, the lactose yeah, sugars. Yeah, yeah. And then they would drink it the next day and it was mildly sour. And mm -hmm. uh, that's really interesting. And she made all kinds of She made a type of creme fraiche. They made a type of cheese, a fresh cheese, a, um, yogurt. Um, it's like, wow. So dairy can, if, if you've got the genes uh, mm -hmm. and I do to manage dairy, you know, 
if it's done right, if it's done the way nature intended, it can be infinitely healthy, I think. For well, that's, that's an interesting part to uh, uh, comment because when I was a kid, I never had problem with dairy. And I come to America and I'm lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. You know, right. so it's either in the way they produce the milk that affects my digestive system or because I, I, I mean, I know, I understand that when you get older, you tend to be, become more sensitive to lactose, you know, as, as aging goes, but I don't know. It's just, uh, you know, I go back to France and I drink raw milk and I don't have a problem with it mm-hmm. and I trust them to but it's getting more and more difficult because now, especially in Europe, they do with this, you know, ultra high temperature, UHT, you know, cottons, which is horrible. It's even oh, worse yeah. than what they do here. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, you know, it's just basically colored water. It's nothing, nothing more than that. So uh, yeah, instead I drink, you know, uh, almond milk. But if I get the chance to uh, visit a farm or if I get access to a farmer's market that has actual raw milk, I, I drink it straight up and I don't have any problem. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely... You, you can still buy raw milk in France in the supermarket. You can? You can? You can? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, when I was in Nice last Christmas, I didn't see it. I didn't, you know, I didn't look for it for one thing, but... Uh, it that local, the small market that was near where I was staying uh, didn't have it. Uh, I, know, mm. I know that much. But then for the, probably the larger one, they may have it, yes. Have you paid much attention to the A1, A2 gene cows and their milk? Nope. There's a discussion about that going on too, that southern cows from southern Europe have a gene that produce milk that's easier to digest. And for some reason, these, these uh, Northern European uh, cattle are hardier. And so we've sort of shifted to them and the uh, mostly, I think a hundred percent of the cattle in the United States are this other gene that's more difficult to digest. So that's a discussion, but I don't know how much of that is relevant. I, I don't know. You know, when we start, it's it, it, when it when we start genetically modifying everything. It's hard to know sometimes how far you have to look back to yeah. get to like okay, what was the real, what was, you know, what was the real original source of of what this food was supposed to look like? In California, uh, raw milk is still legal, and um, but I live in Nevada, just over the border, <clears throat> so I'm able to get raw milk from a farmer's market that's about thirty minute drive from me. And there's a, you can buy into a share of a cow and you can get, you know, share. I don't need a whole gallon of of milk. I need like a quart of milk a week. Mm. I live by myself. And so, you know, I'll turn that into yogurt or, you know, whatever. Um, I don't Mm. really drink milk. I typically ferment it. And um, I feel very blessed that I have access to that because otherwise I just don't want to do dairy. Right, Um, right. What's interesting in your comment is that uh, when you say southern cows, you mean like, southern europe like france and italy and because they don't really have that many uh, i would say that cows stop uh, happening around lyon in france that's probably the because in the south of france there's no room for cows there's just not food for them so typically they yeah. rely more on uh, sheep and and goat milk 
you know, traditionally until, of course, trucking yeah. or refrigeration and all of that. So um, I can see where northern, like uh, Germany, uh, maybe Holland and all the Swedish countries, they would need cows that would be much more uh, hardy, like you said, you know, they will uh, resist the cold and, you know, uh, compared to the, the southern cows. Uh, but I'm not sure how that affects us. As, and I suspect that over the years, the population will adapt to these different kind of meals, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's something I'm just starting to learn about. I, I just know enough to be dangerous. Mm. So, yeah. it's, but I am fascinated by it. And <laughs> so, what you'll get a kick out of this. Um, the I don't know if you're familiar with a, a brand of yogurt and milk now called Saint Benoit. No. So, uh, from Petaluma, California, um, Benoit Cors de Corsac. I don't, think, I don't know if I'm saying it right. Known him for a number of years. We started our. He started our business. He started his business maybe a year before I did. The mm -hmm. best yogurt from Jersey cows, full fat, beautiful, grass fed, 100% on grass. Um, just the most stunning uh, dairy of all time. I just, I love, I love French yogurt. I love the French strains. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he got, he's, he's an interesting guy. The company got so popular and started growing so fast that he said, that's ah, too much. So he sold it to a French company and he moved not far from where I am. And right. he just bought a couple of cows and his wife makes gluten-free pastries and they are just back to the simple life again of selling, you know, uh, for what they need at the farmer's market. And he's right. got his piece back. <laughs> I just love that story because Benoit chose, you know, I'm sure he made a little bit of money off the sale of his company, but he didn't, he didn't want to be, he, he's a, he's a dairy man, you know, he's, yeah, a yeah, yeah. he's not a businessman. And no, he's, he's, uh, yeah, he's a dairy man, a farmer. He's not a, uh, like he's, he's not into the American uh, business mentality of growing, no. growing and, and, you know, that's something I know something about. I made that mistake. And like him, I wanted to grow, and uh, that's when I lost my business. Um, mm, you know, mm. believing, believing the American dream. Um, I feel that you and I could have, you know, discussions forever uh, on all these different subjects. Actually, you make me feel like missing friends right now. <laughs> so uh, we, uh, I'd love to continue that discussion um, another time, but right now uh, we have a show to do. <laughs> so... Um, I understand you're working on the book. Yeah. Uh, so my son and I wrote a book, my son, Shane Peterson. He had written a book in Denmark, I think I mentioned. And um, so he knew a little bit about it, but he also was our fermentologist for the company. As, as we grew, uh, I had to start wearing lots of different hats. Uh, and so he was able to sort of continue with the fermentation and take a much deeper dive into it than I could. So um, he's really sort of the science guy now. So I, I write recipes. I'm the flavor person. And he literally has been at my side cooking with me since he was old enough to pull up a chair to the counter. Um, and so we, we just, it, when it came time to write a book, it was like, yeah, we should do this together. Yeah. I don't know that we'll do it again. We, we get along really well, but it's hard writing a book with somebody because um, we have that's, different opinions, you know, that's, about that's everything. Why I, that's why I prefer to write alone. Yeah, I think both Shane and I will both uh, focus on that. He's writing a book on sacred herbal 
beers. He's really mm -hmm. interested in non-pasteurized uh, ales, wines, and mm -hmm. beers with herbs and not hops and things like that. So that's where his passion is taking him. And, um, and so anyway, but this book, we include everything from, you know, uh, fermented vegetables and get into yogurt, get into all the different milks. I do almond milk yogurts and chia, chia milk yogurts and things like that. And then uh, get into kombucha and we even get into mead, um, do a lot of pickles, hot sauces. And uh, so it's a uh, 10 speed press is our publisher right. and it comes out in the summer of 2019. Just okay. finished, just finished all the photography and, uh, and then we um, have one more round of edits to do, I think. And then it goes, Mm. goes to the graphic designer so it's quite a process it's quite exciting i really have enjoyed it it is uh, my books are much more simpler no pictures just words and they self-publish mm. i self-publish all my books so um yeah we um we would like to have you back when the book is out so we can talk some more about it is that something oh i would love that i would love that yeah yeah okay um anything else that comes to mind as far as uh you know, fermentation or any similar subjects? Well, I, one thing that I'm really passionate about, just on a sort of a closing note, is I'm we talking about keeping businesses small. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the reasons I wanted to scale my business is because I want that single mom in Detroit to have access. You know, she can't afford the $10 pound of kraut. I want to get kraut down to $5 a pound for her. Mm -hmm. And I think helping women understand the importance of nutrition for their kids without shaming them right. um, and helping make making healthy food available to them so they can afford to eat these healthy foods. I would really like to see a shift in our consciousness culturally and maybe even at the government level. Maybe that's asking too much right now, but eventually that's where I really would like to see this go. I feel like women have a lot of power as consumers mm -hmm. um, yeah. and when what they feed their families really creates our culture um so yeah no. that's something i'm thinking a lot about and i'm hoping that you know our products are affordable enough for them and if not that the book is there to show them how to to do it at home right there's um there's a pun in there yes mom, <laughs> culture mom, mom and culture yeah uh yeah i mean that's one thing we've been telling our, our listeners forever is that uh you have the power you you decide what you want for your family. So our job with the show is to educate people so they can go out and make the right choices for them and their family. And within, you know, within the budget, because we understand that not everyone is living in California and making a good living. And, you know, there's a lot of people on the budget and it's, uh, it's not easy sometimes to eat healthy when your budget is very limited. So I appreciate your concerns regarding um but your book also will help these some of these moms and uh, typically they're very busy surviving so it might yeah. not be easy but they can do their own fermenting as well you know maybe. yeah there's nothing easier than making a batch of sauerkraut you know and it costs a couple of bucks you know and, and it'll last you a couple it'll last you a couple months so there there are ways to definitely incorporate it into your life even though they're i know you're right though these people are really busy right yeah. I mean, I know I was, I grew up with a single mom of three. So, uh, you know, she didn't have time to cook. I was doing the cooking for the family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
and that's how I got into into this whole field. Um, I'm pretty much done here on my side. Uh, what uh, can you tell us? What to look for or where to look for regarding your products uh, and your upcoming book? I don't know if you have anything up there already, but yeah. So our products, our products, you can find uh, all over the country uh and in the united states we also are in uh, recently in mexico some of our products are in australia and a lot of our products are in canada and uh, we're pretty widely distributed and uh whole foods and you know co-ops and natural markets and gourmet stores but we're going into walmart here pretty soon oh wow with all of our products and even uh, walmart is going uh again yeah yeah. So at first I had mixed feelings about it, but I'm like, no, that's the way we're going to get it to everybody. You know, I, I want people to have these good bacteria for their guts. We've got to start healing guts before we can heal anything else. And so I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And then I don't have a whole lot of information yet about the book other than it's coming out next summer. Um, I think it might even be up on Amazon, but I don't think you can pre-order it yet. And I don't think we right. even have a cover yet, uh, but it'll be with 10 speed press and they're a publisher out of San Francisco that we're really super happy to be working with. I'd be glad to trade one of my books with one of yours. Oh yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it, oh, and then out. I'm also on Instagram at Catherine, just Catherine Lucas, my name spelled. I don't know if you'll be able to see it on there. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, um, I don't do Facebook much. I just, I just can't help it. I just don't like it. Yeah. Uh, but I do love Instagram. I try to post there regularly. And Farmhouse Culture is also on Instagram. So good places to kind of follow along and see what we're up to. And the website is? Uh, farmhouseculture.com. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Mark, your turn. Well, actually, I've been listening fascinated. So um, my sort of thoughts about questions I was going to ask have gone straight out the window. I thought you. I thought you went and took a nap. <laughs> we, we were, I thought it was boring, uh, Mark. Got off today, Catherine. I thought maybe you went uh, took a nap and. No, no, no. Well, I mean, from her own mouth, uh, we've been interviewing somebody who's dangerous. So you know, I thought, <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> uh. No, I mean you've. you've really sort of covered a whole gambit of things Catherine. thank you for that um, all interesting stuff hence my lack of questions so um when we have you back i shall not listen so hard and write some questions for you some hard ones okay super hard ones as it, you, okay it, all right I'll do my best. Me, looks to me you charm the mark here because typically he always has questions so there's there's something that went in there you um uh, what's the what's the word for it? Whatever, it'll, it'll come back to me. Um, so, um, unless you want to add something else, um, I can do the closing, and then we'll take well, it. Well, the, the only thing I would say is that I, you know, I watched some of your shows, and I think you guys are doing really great work. So, thank you for that. I think it's important that we have voices like yours. Mm -hmm. um, out here helping people understand, you know, sort of how, how do we get back to real food and, uh, and how to heal ourselves. So thank you for the good work you're doing. Okay. It's our pleasure. Um, and you can, you can blame Mark for that. He's uh, <laughs> the instigator, the troublemaker. <laughs> thank you, Mark. He's, uh, he's the one that got me here to um, twist my arm severely for me to be involved. 
I'm not uh, very comfortable typically in, uh, you know, talking in, setting. in public and all that stuff. So uh, it took, uh, we, we first went sound only. And after about six months, he convinced me to be on camera, which is definitely something I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. But yeah, he well, can you, be, it doesn't show. It can be very persuasive. Well, the what makes a big difference is, I guess, because I'm passionate about the... Um, I've always been a teacher, and I'm passionate about teaching and telling people or trying to transmit our, you know, through our guests and through our own knowledge, um, educate people uh, into proper way of staying healthy. And not just on the food side, we mostly we deal with food, but sometimes we also have, um, you know, people that talk about sleep or meditation or, you know, uh, cancer survivors and things like that. So we, we're not partial to, I mean, we even had a couple of vegans on the show. <laughs> I know for paleo people, it's like, oh my God, how could you do that? You're betraying, yeah. betraying us. The, the, the whole concept is where we come from is as long as we can expose our listeners to someone that can explain how they heal or help themselves through diet or through food, that's, that we don't care where they come from, you know. Yeah. Uh, as long as we don't talk politics or religion, stay away from that, and the rest we will will handle. Yeah. 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 So um, I'll I'll do my famous closing now. Okay. <laughs> Just warm up my laugh. Hold on a sec. There we go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Here we go. Thank you again, Catherine, for being on the local paleo show. And as we say in Texas, à votre santé, y'all. <laughs> it's my pleasure. It's wonderful talking to both of you.